let's stand up for the reading of God's word. We're going to be in Philippians chapter 3, starting in verse 18. It says this, For many of whom I have often told you and now tell you even with tears, walk as enemies of the cross of Christ. Their end is destruction, their God is their belly, and they glory in their shame with minds set on earthly things. But for our citizenship is in heaven, and from it we await a Savior, the Lord Jesus Christ. Let's pray. Lord, we thank you for your word, and we thank you, God, that, um, that you give us the ability to dig into your word, to uh, pull out of it, not just things uh, to give us insight into how you designed us, but things to give us insight on how to have a better relationship with you, how to live more accordingly to what you've called us to. And I pray, God, that as we gather here for just a few moments, that that you would use this time to help sharpen our focus in on you and what you have for us, that we might be effective in your kingdom and that we might bear fruit in this world. Lord, it's in your son's name I pray, amen. All right, y'all can have a seat. Well, when I was in high school, I did not play uh, sports a whole lot. Probably not a big shocker to y'all. I played football for a little bit, but for the most part, I was just a practice dummy for the guys who really played football uh, during the week. Uh, so that didn't work. I uh, went and ran track for a little bit, and I could run a long way, but I could not run a long way fast. And so I was just kind of there, right? Um, I even did a stint in powerlifting. Believe it or not, true story, I did powerlifting for all of two weeks. Um, lots of fun stories there that we're not going to get into today. Maybe at some point I'll share them with you. Uh, but I just didn't do a whole lot with sports until my sophomore year in high school. Uh, there was this girl in band that I had a crush on and she played tennis. So guess what I did? I played tennis, right? And man, I tell you, uh, I started playing tennis and quickly fell in love with the sport. Teenagers, you listening? Girls come and go. Tennis, though, is forever, right? I ended up dating that girl for a little bit, um, but we broke up, but my love for tennis stayed, which, by the way, this is not my racket. <laughs> I don't have a pink racket. My wonderful wife, I called her, and I said, hey, can you go grab my racket out of the garage this morning? And she brings me a pink racket, um, and so y'all can thank my wife for this. Uh, I don't blame her. It's like 15 degrees in the garage. So uh, I quickly fell in love with tennis. I would play for hours, like four or five times a day with all my friends. We'd go up to the courts and just, just hit the ball around for, for just hours at a time. Uh, and as I uh, got better at it, I started going to tournaments. I remember there's this one tournament that I went to, and I was just off on my game. I don't know what it was that day, but as I was going to hit the ball, it would you know, hit the, the, the frame of it and, you know, go out or go into the net or do whatever. And I just was not on my game. And so the coach called me over and he said, Chris, come here. And so I went over and at the fence, he was like, Chris, you're not watching the ball. And I'm like, I, I'm watching the ball. And he's like, no, I'm watching you. And here's what happens when that ball gets here, you're pulling your eyes up 
and swinging like that. Now, if y'all don't know much about tennis, it would make sense. You, you would, you, no one would blame you if you thought to yourself, you need to look to where you want the ball to go, right? That's not how tennis works though. You keep your eye on the ball and as you hit, your eyes on that ball and you're able to make little micro adjustments to what you do. But if you pull your eyes up, now you're effectively just swinging blind, right? And when you swing blind, what happens? You know, it hits here, hits everywhere, and the ball doesn't go where you want it to go. So the coach told me, you are not keeping your eyes on the ball, keep your eyes on the ball and you'll do better. And so I went out there with vigor and like, you know, like uh, in those movies where they go into halftime during the football game, they're losing and they get a pep speech and they go out and win the game. That did not happen. <laughs> I lost the game because I failed to keep my eye on the ball. Why do I tell that story? Because what you focus on matters. What you focus on matters. In life, your ability to keep your eye on the ball is going to, de to determine where you go and how effective you are as you go there, right? It's 2024, and it's the new year. How many people have already lost their uh, New Year's resolutions? Okay, I don't feel good about that. Uh, <laughs> we're the second weekend. And the New Year's are great, even if you don't set resolutions, the New Year's are great because here's what it does. It, it causes us to be a little bit um, introspective about the previous year and to, to um, think about what all has happened. And it also causes us to be um, hopeful and full of anticipation of the new year. And I don't know where you are in this. Like you may have had the worst year of your life in 2023. You like everything wrong happened to you and you feel like you made no progress and you're just ready to put that year behind you and hopefully move forward into the new year and, and hopefully this will be better. Or maybe for you, 2023 was a banner year in your life. Like it was awesome. Like lots of great things happened. God moved in your life and now you're just looking forward into 2024 to figure out where is God gonna take you now. No matter where you are, we're all in the same place in terms of it's a new year, it's a new start, where are we going? And if you don't sit and, and take the time to hone in your focus on where you're going, then what's gonna end up happening is you're gonna wake up tomorrow and it's gonna be 2025. And you're gonna ask yourself, where did the year go? Why have I still not made progress? Why am I still not moving forward in my life? And so what I want to do today is I want to um, give us a few thoughts on how to hone in our focus on what God wants us to do. I wanna give you three questions to ask yourself. And in these three questions, it's gonna sharpen your focus. Imagine that we're sharpening a knife blade. And with each question, we're taking a little bit more off the blade to sharpen it until we get a nice polish. So our focus is just razor sharp on where we need to go. Now, here's what I'm not gonna give you. I'm not gonna give you specifics to focus on. We are all in drastically different stages of life. Some of us are retired. Some of us have kids in the house. Some of us don't have kids in the house. Some of us are married. Some of us aren't married. Some of us aren't even thinking about marriage. Some of us aren't even thinking about where we're at in this room. Maybe, maybe. Okay, cool. We are all in completely different stages of life. And so I'm not going to give you any specific things to focus on. However, I want to give you these three questions to hone in your focus on what you should be focusing on. And so in your own particular context, 
um, in, in whatever you're trying to you know, set your goal towards and move towards, use these three questions to hone that in and make sure that it's on what it needs to be on. Cool? So that's what we're going to do today. We're going to give you three questions to hone in your focus, and hopefully by the end we can leave here having a better idea of what God is calling us to do in our lives. Cool? Three questions to hone in your focus. First question is this. Am I focusing on myself? Am I focusing on myself? Now, hear me out. Uh, generally speaking, Christianity is not an inward-focused Christianity. The tenets of Christianity is that we love God and love others. It has nothing to do with loving yourself, right? We love ourselves enough. I don't need to tell you to love yourself more. You do it just fine. So whenever I say, am I focusing on myself as the first question, it's not a matter of a selfish, self-seeking kind of mindset that the world might say, like, hey, just focus on yourself now. It's more of a, am I focusing on what I need to do? Generally speaking, in our life, it's easy to become distracted and more concerned with what other people are doing rather than what we need to do. Like we have our own junk that we need to work through in our life. And instead of focusing on our junk, what do we do? We shift our focus to other people's junk and what they need to do to make ourselves feel better. And some might say that that's the point. In fact, if you want to get distracted by what you need to do and shift it to other people, there's a whole sector of TV and media out there to help you do it, right? So like, for example, if your house is a mess and you really need to go pick up your house, what do you do? You watch Hoarders, right? My house is a mess, but their house is really a mess. All right, I need to go clean, but they need to really clean. All the while, you've got mold growing in your sink. Or maybe for you, it's like, I need to go get in shape. And so I go watch my 600-pound life because I need to get in shape, but they really need to get in shape, right? As you eat your Doritos watching. Maybe for you, it's finances. I need to get my finances together, so what do I do? I go listen to Dave Ramsey. My life... And my finances are a mess, but these guys, they're really in a mess. It makes me feel better about mine. Maybe you have odd quirks in your life that, that you want to work on. What do you do? You watch My Weird Obsession. Have you all ever seen that on a TLC? Go watch it. It's wild. Like people drinking nail polish for a hobby and eating couch cushions. I'm not making it up. That's exactly what it is. So, so you may watch that and you're like, yeah, I'm quirky, but I don't eat couch cushions. So I think I'm doing good, right? If we want to shift our focus off of our flaws and onto other people, we have all the ability in the world to do that. And in the same way that we do that with our flaws, we do that with what God has called us to do. Instead of focusing on what God has called me to do in this moment, I'm going to shift my focus to what God has called y'all to do instead. And funny enough, we have an example in the Bible of this actually happening. And we get to see how Jesus responds to this in real time. I love it. I love this story. It's in John 21. And this is where Jesus restores Peter. So if you don't remember, uh, when Jesus was being crucified, Peter denied Jesus three times. And then after Jesus had been resurrected, he sat with Peter around a campfire and he gave Peter an opportunity to be reconciled uh, to Jesus and for Peter to recommit himself to Jesus. So he's sitting around the campfire and Jesus says to Peter, Peter, do you love me? And Peter says, I love you. And then once again, Jesus says to Peter, Peter, do you love me? 
He says, Jesus, I love you. And one more time to, to complete it, he says, Peter, do you love me? And Peter says, Jesus, you know I love you. It's this beautiful moment of reconciliation that we get to see. And then after that moment, um, Jesus informs Peter of his role in the church and where he's going to lead him in his life. And that's where we're going to pick it up. John 21, verse 18, says this. This is Jesus talking to Peter. Truly I tell you, when you were younger, you would tie your belt and walk wherever you wanted. But when you grow old, you will stretch out your hands and someone else will tie you and carry you where you don't want to go. He said this to indicate by what kind of death Peter would glorify God. After saying this, he told him, follow me. So again, you have this beautiful moment with Jesus and Peter and and Jesus lays out for Peter, here's where you're going in life. Here's what I'm calling you to do. Let's see how Peter responds. In verse 20, so Peter turned around and saw the disciple Jesus loved following him, the one who had leaned back against Jesus at the supper and asked, Lord, who is the one who's going to betray you? So he's talking about John right there. Peter and John were really close to each other. And so you see this kind of almost throughout the Gospels, this almost a little uh, like brotherly rivalry going on between them. And so, uh, so Peter, uh, verse 21, when Peter saw him, John, he said to Jesus, Lord, what about him? Right? Do y'all have kids? Anyone have kids in the room? Have you ever told your kids uh, or one of your kids, hey, go clean your room. And then they point, look back at you and said, well, what about them? Why don't they have to clean their room? My kids are starting to get old enough that I can see this in my daughter. She's just about four, and uh, we have a one-and-a-half-year-old. And there's times that we have to tell Lottie, like, hey, go clean your room, or go eat this, or go to bed. And Judson, our one-and-a-half-year-old, isn't doing those things. And I can almost see it in her eyes where she's like, he gets to do it. Why don't I get to do it? That's almost what you have going on here with, with Peter. Like, Jesus tells him, this is what you're going to do. And instead of saying, Lord, I'm going to follow you all the way through. He says, what about John? Does he have to die? Let's see how how, uh, Jesus responds. Verse 22. If I want him to remain until I come, Jesus answered, what is that to you? As for you, follow me. I love the way that he responds. So here's what Jesus is saying to him. He's saying, you worry about you. You focus on you. Don't get distracted with him. I'm calling you to do this. What is God calling you to do? 2024 is here. What is God calling you to do in your life? Now, here's what I'm not asking. I'm not asking you, what is God calling your spouse to do? Not what is God calling your kids to do? Not what is God calling your coworkers or your boss to do? What is God calling you to do? in 2024. Think long and hard about that. And, and as you think about that, hone in your focus on what that is. What is God calling you to do? Here's some examples. Maybe God is calling you into a deeper relationship with himself. Maybe that Bible that has been collecting dust on your shelf and you tell yourself every week, I'm going to go pick it up. Maybe now's the time to actually pick it up. Maybe God is calling you to uh, dig deeper into the community of the church and to finally join a small group or a serve team or get involved in ministry. Maybe God is calling you to finally deal with that sin that has been uh, hanging around your life for the past decade. 
What is God calling you to do? Find that out and focus, hone in on that. Not what other people need to do, what you need to do. And amazing things can happen when you're focused on and walking the path that God has laid out for you. So that's the first question. Am I focusing on myself? Second question to hone your focus is, am I focusing on today? Am I focusing on today? In the same way that you can get distracted and focus on what other people need to do rather than yourself, you can get distracted and focus on tomorrow or things outside of your control or the unknowns instead of just focusing on today. Jesus, uh, in this famous passage, you'll probably know it, Matthew 6, 34, when talking about worry and anxiety, says this. He says, therefore, don't worry about tomorrow because tomorrow will worry about itself. Each day has enough trouble of its own. I love the way that the, the King James puts it. It says this, sufficient for the day is its own trouble. Amen? Yeah? Uh, does anyone in here need more problems in their life? Yeah, I don't think I've ever met someone where they're like, you know what? Life is just going real easy for me right now. If you could just make my life a little harder, that'd be great. Right? We, we don't do that, right? At least in theory, we all agree that there's enough problems for today, but in practice, here's what happens. We reach into tomorrow and pull problems from tomorrow into the present. All right, we, we all worry about the future. We all worry about things outside of our control. We all worry about things that aren't going on today. What's it for you? For you, maybe finances. Things may be going great right now for you, but, but what if the car breaks down? Or what if my kid goes to college? Or what if the AC unit goes out? How am I going to pay for that? You may be thinking about that. For you, it may be your kids. You're like, is my kid going to grow up and find a good spouse to marry? Is my kid going to grow up and be a fully functioning adult? At this point, is my kid even going to have friends? Because right now, all she does is just run up and down the hallway screaming, and I don't know what to do with it. For you, maybe it's your health. You feel a twinge in your arm, and you're like, well, that's it. I'm dying. And then you spend the next 20 minutes on Google confirming that you are in fact dying. All of these thoughts and concerns about the future and things that haven't happened yet can weed its way into the present and distract you and start to pull your focus. And you know what this creates? This creates anxiety. This creates worry because we're focusing on things that are one, outside of our control and two, things that haven't even happened yet. And what this does is when anxiety and worry start to creep in, it sucks the joy out of your life and makes you unproductive, not only to yourself, but to God and his kingdom. Mental health therapist Ashley McGirt wrote this in an article. She said this, a normal brain thinks about 70,000 thoughts a day, which is quite a bit. An anxious brain, however, processes two to three times that amount of thoughts and can lead to low productivity from spending time perseverating on numerous thoughts. Now, I love the word perseverating there. If y'all don't know what that means, it basically means that you are stuck in a cycle of just repeating those same thoughts over and over and over again. And so what she says is, is that a brain that is anxious is working two to three times as hard because it's processing two to three times the amount of thoughts. It's not just processing the thoughts of today, it's processing the thoughts of tomorrow. It's not just processing the things that are within your control, it's processing the things outside of your control. It's not just processing the knowns, it's processing the unknowns. And what can happen is, 
is um, as you think of these thoughts, it can put you into a state of paralysis where you just don't do anything. You don't solve today's problems and you don't solve tomorrow's problems. You just worry yourself into a spiral until you tunnel down anxiety. Amen? Anyone there with me? Anyone ever been there? You just find your, yourself in this place of anxiousness and you just get nothing done. And that's not where Jesus wants you. That's not, where, that's not how God designed for you to live. He wants you to live a life um, uh, free of worry, free of anxiety, and certainly free of thinking about things that you can't control. So Jesus gives a solution to this, and it's profoundly simple and devastatingly hard. Pull up the, the verse again in Matthew 6. It says this, Therefore, don't worry about tomorrow, because tomorrow will worry about itself. Each day has enough trouble of its own. In other words, he's saying, just focus on today. Put a 24-hour rule to your thoughts. If you have a thought or a worry come into your mind, ask yourself, can I do anything about this today? If the answer is yes, go do it. If the answer is no, forget about it and trust God. Easier said than done. I know, trust me, I get it. Easier said than done. But if we're going to take seriously the call of God in our life, we don't need to be distracted thinking about things that haven't even happened yet and that aren't even in our control. God has called you to do something today. Focus on that and take it one step at a time. Am I focusing on today? So that's the first two. Let's move on to the third one. The first one was, am I focusing on myself and what I need to do? Two, am I focusing on today and not getting distracted with things outside of my control? And the last question to hone our focus is, am I focusing on God's kingdom? Now, this by far is the most important question of the three, because if we are, um, if we are sharpening a knife blade with these questions of our focus, this last question is the polish on our blade. This is what really hones it into a point so that way we can focus on what we need to because you could, if you wanted to, take the previous two questions and completely strip it of all spirituality and godliness and just take it as helpful tips from Jesus. Like, thank you, Jesus, for your TED Talk. I'm gonna go be productive in my life now. You could, with those first two questions, do that if you wanted to. This third question, though, gives those first two questions meaning and purpose. Right? It's not just a matter of, am I focusing on myself and what I need to do? Now the question is, am I focusing on myself and what God has called me to do in his kingdom? It's not just a matter of, am I focusing on today and what I need to do today? The question is, am I focusing on God's kingdom today and what he's calling me to do? This question gives the other questions purpose in it, and it helps hone our focus in, not on ourselves, but rather on something much bigger than ourselves, on God's kingdom. God is calling us to pull our focus off of ourselves and off of the things of this world and place it on our citizenship in heaven. Let's pull back up our verse uh, that we read earlier today, Philippians 3. It says this, For many of whom I have often told you and now tell you even with tears, walk as enemies of the cross of Christ. Their end is destruction, their God is their belly, and they glory in their shame with minds set on earthly things. And so Paul is saying here that, that those who walk opposite of God, 
their God is their belly. And what he means by this is whatever they wake up with, desiring, having an appetite for, that's what they chase. Has anyone in here made the mistake of going grocery shopping on an empty stomach? Right? You just, you see like, I don't know, like wuton crackers and you're like, I've never eaten those before in my life, but they sound good. And then you realize they're not good and you just wasted $10, right? Paul is saying that, that the world lives this way, that, that their focus is whatever their gut is telling them to go. Have you ever heard the phrase, follow your heart? It's bad advice. Your heart's deceptive. It's going to lead you down a bad path, right? That's what the world does. They follow wherever their feelings are taking them, wherever their desires are taking them, wherever their selfishness is taking them. And what Paul is saying here is that while their minds are set on earthly things, on selfishness, on self-indulgence, we're different. Those who have placed their faith in Christ operate differently. Let's pull up, back up the passage. So in verse 19, their end is destruction, their God is their belly, and they glory in their shame with minds set on earthly things. Verse 20, but our, those who have placed their faith in Christ, our citizenship is in heaven, and from it we await a Savior, the Lord Jesus Christ. And so while the world sets their focus on earthly things that will fade, that don't last, we set our focus on things different. We set our focus much, much higher on heaven, on the kingdom of God. Jesus was trying to communicate this to us in uh, the Lord's Supper, just those few verses that Jesus prayed. He said this, he said, your kingdom come, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. He's trying to help us wrap our mind around our actions in this world are not about us. They shouldn't be about us. If you focus on building your kingdom, your kingdom dies with you, right? Y'all know back in the you know, um, ancient days in the pyramids, they would be buried with all their items because they thought they could take it with them into the next world. That's not how it works, right? Whatever you build up in this life, earthly things, is gonna die with you. You will never see it again. And so what it's saying here is set your mind on God's kingdom that's going to far outlive you, that's going to live um, longer than you are. And here's the thing, whenever you put your purpose in something bigger than you and in, in a vision bigger than you, a purpose big, bigger than you, you find meaning and you find fulfillment in life. Because here's the thing, life is more than just Facebook. Life is more than just TikTok and YouTube. Life is more than video games, guys. Life is more than houses and cars. Life is more than 401ks and jobs. Ladies, life is more than Stanley Cups. Which, by the way, can someone please explain to me the Stanley Cup craze? I don't get it. Life is more than all these fleeting things, and we can get so distracted by just getting the next thing thing that, that gives my mind some spark of joy until I get used to it and just dwell back into my pit of despair again until I find the next thing. And what God is trying to call us to is to say, I want so much more for you. I don't want to just save you from your sin. I want to invite you into the kingdom of God. I want to invite you into a purpose that's bigger than you, that's bigger than whatever you wake up chasing that day. I want to give your life meaning. 
And when your focus is sharpened to that, it changes the decisions you make. You don't spend your money the same way. You don't uh, spend your free time the same way. Whether or not you have kids, that decision changes. Whether or not you get out of bed with 13 degree weather and come to church on Sunday morning, that changes based on, am I focusing on the kingdom of God? God is calling you to a purpose bigger than yourself. One story and I'll be done. In the 1910s, there was a man named Nikolai Vavilov from Russia. And uh, Nikolai Vavilov had this grand vision in his life. Growing up in Russia, he had saw great famines and events go through the world that killed millions of people. And he thought to himself, I want to make it where this doesn't happen again. I want to build out a seed collection uh, of all of the world's crops. So that way, if a natural disaster or a man-made disaster was to come and wipe out a crop, we could replenish it and we can keep the world going. And that's exactly what he did. Over the next years, he built up one of the world's largest seed banks to the point that the government even came in and hired him uh, to, to develop the world's largest seed banks with 10,000 plus seeds of all the world's different crops. And he even had grown crops in there of, of um, potatoes and cereals and rice and nuts and all these things. And it was all housed in uh, Leningrad, which is the second largest city in Russia. Well, in 1941, uh, during World War II, the Nazis came in and wanted to invade Leningrad and take hold of it. So they performed a siege on that city. And if you're not sure what a siege is, it's where an army cuts off all entry and exit point, uh, points to the city to cut off the city's supply and food chain. Right? 900 days the siege went on. It was brutal. I'm not going to get into the stories, but the horrific stories of um, things going on during this siege. The point is, though, that people died and people starved to death. But again, right smack dab in the middle of the city was the world's largest seed bank and food reserve. And so you would think, even if the city doesn't survive starvation, surely the, the scientists and the team that were there at the food bank or the seed bank, surely they would survive, right? No. Nine of the scientists died from starvation preserving the seed bank and the food bank. Why? Why did they not eat the food? Here's why. Um, one of the survivors who survived, or sorry, one of the guys who survived uh, the siege and worked the seed bank said this. It was hard to walk. It was unbearably hard to get up in the morning, to move your hands and feet, but it was not in the least difficult to refrain from eating up the collection, for it was impossible to think of eating it up. For what was involved was the cause of your life, the cause of your comrades' lives. Why did they not eat up the seeds and the, the food in the bank? Because they were living for a purpose bigger than themselves. They had dedicated their lives to this work. And this work, they, they planned on this work and this cause to far outlive them. And so if it meant them sacrificing themselves, it was well worth the cause because that's the point. It makes me wonder, why don't we sacrifice? 
we have, I mean, that's a great cause, right? To, to help end hunger. That's a great cause, but we have an even greater cause. God in his kingdom. There is a broken world out there separated from God, destined to hell in their sin. And our cause is to take the ministry of reconciliation into the world and to restore the creation with the creator. That is our purpose in life. And, and when we can hone in our focus on that purpose, all of a sudden it's much easier to make sacrifices. It's much easier to sacrifice our Sundays. It's much easier to sacrifice our time and our energy and our money to serve this need because it is serving a bigger purpose than ourselves. And so in the final question, am I focusing on God's kingdom? You need to ask yourself, am I living for a bigger purpose than myself? And then allow that to hone in your focus on what God is calling you to do. Let me pray that we do that. Lord, we thank you, God, that you love us, that you care for us, and that you are calling us into your kingdom. And I pray, Lord, that we wouldn't lose sight of that. That very easily you could have left us to die in our sin and no one would have faulted you. But rather, Lord, you stepped down into time. You lived the life that we couldn't, died the death that we deserved and rose again three days later that we might have the opportunity to be invited into your kingdom. And so I pray, Lord, as we gather here today, the beginning of 2024, that we would focus on you and what you have for us. That we wouldn't get distracted with the election, that we wouldn't get distracted with social media, that we wouldn't get distracted with the newest show on Netflix or Hulu, that we wouldn't get distracted with our hobbies, that we wouldn't get distracted with the things of this earth, but Lord, that we would lift our eyes higher to you and to heaven and to your kingdom. That the decisions that we make would matter and would serve a bigger purpose than ourselves. We're going to move into a time of invitation and this time is really a time for you to respond however God is calling you to respond. I don't know where you are today. I don't know where God is moving in your life. Maybe you just need to sit and pray and just reflect on, on what God is calling you to do. Maybe you need to come up to the altar and repent of, of the times that you've allowed God to, to take second place to your life. Maybe you're not even in, in the game. You're not part, you, you can't focus on God's kingdom because you're not part of God's kingdom. And, and you just need to give your life to Jesus. However God is moving in your life, we wanna help walk you through that. We wanna give you an opportunity to respond in that. Can we all stand together? We're gonna stand and we're gonna sing. And however God is calling you to respond, we wanna give you this opportunity.